The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at www.harmonybible.org. This morning we'll be spending our time in what is often referred to as the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And I made that decision when I thought we were going to be meeting the day after Valentine's Day and uh, snow threw us a little bit of a curveball. But nonetheless, we're going to continue and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and then next week we'll return to the book of Revelation. Now most of you are probably pretty familiar with 1 Corinthians 13 and its description of love. Our focus this morning, however, will not be so much on those familiar verses, verses 1 through 7, but instead on the second half of the chapter, verses 8 through 13. And I believe that this section of Scripture is especially important to us as we continue to grow in our love for one another and our love for the world around us. So without further ado, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, Love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for the opportunity to look at Your Word. God, I pray that You be with us now as we, as we think about it, as we seek to apply it to our lives. God, I pray that we would worship You in spirit and in truth. I pray that every person here would be changed as we interact with Your Word, that we would not leave the same as, as, we, as we came, but instead would be changed and would grow as we seek to learn from You. God, give us the grace we need. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to do a quick overview of 1 Corinthians so we can put this message in its proper context. The Apostle Paul is the author of the book, and it was written roughly 25 years after Christ. The city of Corinth was a wealthy business center, and it was well known for all things sinful. But even in the midst of that sinfulness, Paul, on his second missionary journey, preached the gospel, and many responded in Corinth, and the church was born. Now Paul, having left Corinth, is writing this letter, 1 Corinthians, to correct some errors in their teaching. 
and deal with some problems they were facing as a church. And in fact, in this letter, he talks about division over allegiances to different teachers. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about marriage and divorce. He talks about Christian liberty, corporate worship. And then in the immediate context of this passage, he talks about the use of spiritual gifts. Gifts that God has given His children to edify, to build each other up, and to build His church, and to bring Him glory. Therefore, I believe this passage is especially applicable, especially relevant to us today. A couple of weeks ago, we had our annual meeting, and it was determined who would serve in what capacities for this coming year. We also had a church membership class a few weeks ago, and in that class we talked about the membership covenant and and what it meant to use our gifts for God's glory here at Harmony to continue the mission of Harmony Bible Church. And in Bill's Sunday School class, we've been talking about not only spiritual gifts, but also what it means to be part of a body, a living and growing group of believers. And then God also has been speaking to us as of late as to what it means to live in community. Uh, What it means to live in such a way that we're holding each other up, we're spurring each other on, we're encouraging each other to live biblically. We've seen that with the start of a couple of community groups here at Harmony Bible Church. However, I want to caution us. There's a serious danger in emphasizing these ideas of spiritual gifts, these ideas of service, if they're not rooted in the Gospel. We have to love each other and care for each other, and it has to be rooted in the Gospel. Ultimately, our spiritual gifts and our gifts of service must be rooted in a proper understanding of God's ultimate gift to us and His ultimate act of service and sacrifice to us. You see, Paul understood these dangers as they played out in the the church in Corinth. So he says to them, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, So as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If this is the case, faith to move mountains, giving all our possessions to the the poor. Can you imagine? Not just giving to the poor, giving all of our possessions to the poor. Having faith that, that says to a mountain to be moved and it will move. Surrendering our bodies to be burned? If that's the case, and it profits nothing, how much more can we say that if we usher, or lead special music, or teach a Sunday school class, or even preach a sermon without love, that it profits us nothing? So Paul, having stressed the importance of love and the character of love in the first part of the chapter, in verses 8-13, through 13, stresses the reason why love needs to be the foundation for service in the church. And that's really where I want to focus. Why love is the foundation for service in the church. Why it needs to be. You see, Paul wants to get the church in Corinth. He wants to get their focus off the temporal, off the things that won't last, off the things of this world, and get their focus onto the eternal. Things which will endure forever. He wants them to be about building God's kingdom and not their own. So that too is my aim this morning, to draw our attention away from the things of this world and to set our face toward that which will endure forever. It's my goal to remind us of Christ's words in 
Matthew 22, verses 34 through uh, 39, where he says, says this, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And this is Jesus' response. He said, And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's what I want to point us to. I want to point us to the importance of of living in such a way that we are obeying God by loving Him and loving each other. So let's look at verses 8-13 through again. 8-13 through of 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The title of my message this morning is Love Never Fails. Because the central idea here is that love is eternal. It goes on forever, without end. Now that concept is completely foreign in our culture. We tend to think of love as something that's conditional. We tend to think of love as something that you can fall in and out of. And we are constantly, constantly bombarded with false teaching regarding how we should love one another. You can hardly turn on the radio or TV or connect to the internet without hearing about love, especially this past week as we celebrated Valentine's Day. And you have all these commercials and all these ideas just bombarding us of what love is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be. Yet rarely are we offered a perspective that matches what the Scripture teaches about the subject. And I believe that the impact of this false teaching that comes into our lives constantly, we're constantly letting this false teaching come into our lives, that it's, the impact is huge. Huge. Think of the way a dad sits down with his child, his son or daughter, to explain to them that they no longer love mommy. Right? Think of a, a father who does that. You know, son, I no longer, I no longer love money, mommy. And what's the, what, what always follows that? but I'll always love you. Does that make any sense to that child? Does that make any sense to you? I mean, really, think about it. Does that make any sense to you? So the child is thinking, well, what did mommy do, and what must I not do? And yet, it's normative in our culture. Maybe you were the child who had one of your parents say that to you. Or maybe you've actually been the parent in that situation. Maybe you've said that to your own child. Unfortunately, our culture has completely skewed our perception of what love is. So before we go any further, I want to examine what the biblical definition of love is. Before we talk about love never failing, I want to understand what Scripture is referring to when we talk about love. As you're probably aware, there are three different words in the 
Greek New Testament that are translated love in our English Bibles. This is not new teaching for most of you. The three words are eros, which is used for sexual love. It's where we get the, the term erotic. Phileo, the general term for love, is mostly used to describe feelings of affection. It's where we get the term Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And lastly, agape, which carries the, uh, the nuance of love for the sake of its object. I love that def- definition. Love for the sake of its object. And the word used here in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape. It's love that is patient, love that is kind, love that is not jealous, love that does not brag, love that is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, love that does not seek its own. It sounds pretty sacrificial, doesn't it? Love that does not seek its own, love that is not provoked, love that does not take into account a wrong suffered, love that does not rejoice in unrighteousness. So far, I see a lot of giving in this kind of love. Love that rejoices with the truth, love love that bears all things, love that believes all things, love that hopes all things, and love that endures all things. That is love for the sake of its object. Love for the sake of the one being loved. It's that kind of love. That kind of love is the love that will never fail. Feelings of affection, phileo, may end. They'll come and go. There are times, even in my marriage, I have the best wife ever. If, you've ever. if you ever doubt that, all you need to do is spend some time with her and you'll realize that she is the greatest woman on the face of the earth. And, but there are times when I don't feel that way. There are times when phileo tends to go away. Those feelings of affection disappear. Because phileo may end. And eros, sexual love, may end. And there are people who say, but I'm not attracted to this person anymore. I don't have affection for this person anymore. But agape love is eternal. Agape love is love that never ends. Because it's not for our sake, it's for the sake of the object being loved. The sake of the one being loved. I think sometimes, and I've said this before, but I think sometimes young people get married and they think, wow, this person actually, they actually adore me almost as much as I adore myself. (laughs) Like they really believe that what they're not in love with is not, they're not setting into marriage and not setting themselves up for giving and giving and giving and sacrificing. Instead, they're setting themselves up for someone who's going to give and give and give and sacrifice for them. They think this person is great. Why are they great? Because they're infatuated with me. And that's how people start marriage. And then they realize marriage is not like that. They're all about themselves. And they get upset. Because you have two people who are self-centered and they need to learn agape love, love that is sacrificial, love that is eternal. So the first point in our message is this. Spiritual gifts are temporary. So we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're contrasting them with love. And spiritual gifts are temporary. Because Paul's talking about spiritual gifts and he's mixing them with love. But the point is here, he says spiritual gifts, they're temporary. So in verse 8, Paul says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Paul is clearly contrasting spiritual gifts, which will one day end with love that will go on forever. 
It's important to note, though, that he specifically mentions only prophecy, tongues, and the word of knowledge. Uh, First, I'll give you a reader's definition digest of each of these gifts. And then we're going to look at why he mentions these three in particular. First, the gift of prophecy is the gift of receiving messages from the Lord and speaking them forth. These messages in times past came as direct revelation from God, while today they come from His Word. So the gift of prophecy isn't the gift of being able to foretell the future. Don't hear the term prophecy and think I'm talking about somebody being able to foretell the future. Although sometimes that is what the Old Testament prophets did. Often their message is, if you do not repent, this will happen. And the Old Testament prophets were able to do so because they received that direct revelation from God. So it's not that. Instead, it is the gift of being able to receive, apply, and proclaim a message from God. In other words, it's forthtelling, not foretelling. I believe that there are people in the church today who have the gift of prophecy. They're able to receive a message from God, from His Word, and forthtell it to people. To, to bring it to the church and communicate it. That is the gift of prophecy. Played out a little different because our revelation comes directly from the Scriptures. Secondly, the gift of tongues is the second gift mentioned, and it's the ability to speak in a language previously not known to the person speaking it. This gift appears on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And we see it where the apostles shared with people from various, various nations, and they were able to understand as though they were speaking in their own language. And then lastly, Paul mentions the gift, the gift of knowledge. Notice that in uh, 1 Corinthians 12.8, he refers to this gift more specifically as the word of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 12.8 For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. This gift is more than just being knowledgeable, but instead is the gift of being able to communicate knowledge from God. It's the ability to teach correct biblical doctrine. This gift, the gift of the word of knowledge, correlates with what is called the gift of teaching and some of our, some of our spiritual gift lists that we see elsewhere in Scripture. So I would argue that the, this idea is the gift of teaching. So now that we've discussed a, a, just a brief def- definition of each of these gifts, we'll look at why Paul mentions these three in particular. Why does he mention these three gifts here? It seems as though he mentions prophecy, tongues, and knowledge because these were the gifts that were being abused by the Corinthians. And quite frankly, I think they're the gifts that are most abused in the church today. I think that often these gifts are the gifts that we run to and abuse within Christendom. See, Paul already addressed this in chapter 12, that sometimes these gifts are exalted above other gifts. And he's writing now to remind us that even these three gifts that were so important to the Corinthians that they will indeed end. See, these gifts were meant to point them to something far greater than the gift themselves. So it's awesome that that Bill can play the bass. It's awesome that Bill can play drums. It's awesome that people have abilities and gifts and somebody may be able to teach and Bill has done a fabulous job at teaching Sunday school and God has given him a gift. Right? 
But the gift is not meant to point to Bill. It's meant to point to something far, far greater. The gift is meant to point us to the giver. And that's what Paul wants them to understand here. It's also important to note that the particular words he uses to say they will end, they're different. Look at verse 8. He says, But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So he uses done away, cease, and done away. And Scripture clearly teaches us that these things will end, though not necessarily at the same time. See, it's no accident that our English Bibles use different words here. It's because the original Greek, in the Greek, they are indeed different words. The word used for the ending of prophecy in the word of knowledge is katargeo, which means to abolish or to do away with. And the word used to describe the ceasing of tongues is pao, which means to stop. The biggest difference here is that katargeo is in the passive form, which means that something or someone will cause them to stop. So something or someone is going to cause them to stop. And the word pao, the gift for tongues, is in the middle voice, which means it is a self-causing action. In other words, it's something that will stop by itself. So I know this is somewhat kind of technical here, right? But here's what we have so far. Prophecy and the word of knowledge will be stopped by something outside of themselves. And the gift of tongues will stop by itself. Kind of like it has its own built-in timer. It'll just kind of stop. Nothing will stop it. It'll just stop by itself. Now this is where we get a little controversial. Uh, Some would argue that the gift of tongues has now ceased, does not exist today. Much of that argument, I think, is based on history and the writings of our early church fathers. Others argue that the gift of tongues is a legitimate God-given gift today. Some go so far as to say you must possess the gift of tongues. You must have the gift of tongues and be able to speak in tongues. Most do not say that, but some would say that you must demonstrate that if you were to uh, be a, a true Christian or if you are to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and live a productive Christian life. I am of the persuasion that the gift of tongues has ceased today. Okay, that's the disclaimer. I'm of that persuasion In other words, I believe its timer has run out. However, I'm not going to make that argument from this text. And it's not because I'm a chicken. It's not because I don't want to talk about tongues. It's because it doesn't say it in the text. This text has enough meat for us to chew on, enough, right? That We don't need to go over what it doesn't say. It just says, the gift of tongues, Paul's writing almost 2,000 years ago, and says the gift of tongues, it's going to stop. It's just going to stop by itself. And I'm saying, it seems to me like that's already happened. And others may say, it seems to me like it hasn't. And I'm going to say, we don't know from this text. The text simply says, at some point, it will stop, while the other two will be stopped by something. So let's look back to our text before we get too far ahead of ourselves. Verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Notice he doesn't... He doesn't talk about tongues here. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. He doesn't mention tongues in these two verses. And it isn't mentioned again until chapter 14. Verse 9 only talks about prophecy and knowledge. 
that when the perfect comes, prophecy and knowledge will be done away. And this is, I think, further evidence of what was said earlier, that tongues will simply end, while prophecy and knowledge will end because of something. Namely, because of the coming of that which is perfect. So, what is Paul talking about when he says the perfect? Right? Teleion is the word, and it simply means perfect, mature, or complete. And interpreters have various opinions over what the perfect is. But I believe it becomes obvious as we move forward that it's, it's the coming of the new heavens and the new earth, that it's the end of what we experience now and the beginning of something new, the coming of the perfect, and the eternal state, so to speak. And in that state, there will no longer be the, the need for gifts of prophecy and teaching. And just a side note, some argue that it's the coming of the Bible, that the Bible is the perfect. Some argue that it's the coming of Jesus. I think it begins with the coming of Jesus, but its ultimate fulfillment is in the eternal state. And it's not the completion of the Bible. Uh, because the word of knowledge is an essential gift for the growth of the church, as is prophecy. And I think that they are alive and well today, that those gifts are alive and active, in spite of the fact that the Scripture is closed. In fact, I think they build on Scripture. So let's move on to our second point. Try to get out of this technical, muddy water stuff. The second point is, spiritual gifts are partial. So the first point is, spiritual gifts are temporary. The second point is, spiritual gifts are partial. Let's look at our text again. Paul makes a statement in verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. And then he goes on to explain that statement in verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12, he says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Paul contrasts now, the way things were in his lifetime, not our lifetime. Remember, Paul's writing 2,000 years ago. Contrast now with the way things will be then, after the perfect comes. And he says that now they see in a mirror dimly. That's the gift of prophecy. We see, but it's dimly. We're we're able to understand and apply and proclaim God's Word, but they don't see things as clearly as they once will. He also says that they now have the gift of knowledge, the Word of knowledge, that's the gift of understanding and teaching doctrine, But their understanding is still incomplete. And that's why we have disagreements in the church. Because we don't always, we we have that gift, we have the ability to apply knowledge, but our understanding is still incomplete and we long for the day when the perfect comes and it is made clear. Therefore, when we think about the coming of the perfect, we can't say it's already come. We can't say that it's already come because just like in Paul's day, the church is given those gifts and they're still partial. Though we see today, we see in a mirror dimly. Though we now have knowledge, we still we think like children. To say that the perfect has already come is to say that we now see perfectly and know perfectly. Praise God that even though these gifts are partial, even though we see dimly and our knowledge is childlike, these gifts are a picture of what is to come. See, they reveal to us a glimpse of what we are, like, of what we are to see and know in the eternal state. They reveal to us a glimpse of what it will like to really, what it will be like to really see and really know. They give us a glimpse, I believe, of Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. 
Look at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Amazing passage here. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. So he sees something. He sees something coming. The old thing is passing away. And this new thing, what is it? It is perfect. There's no longer any sea. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And He said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. That is hope. That is perfect. That is what we have to look forward to. And in that day, we'll no longer need prophecy or the word of knowledge. For we'll see face to face. We'll fully know just as we have been fully known. The partial will have been done away. And the perfect will have come. So Paul then, after having compared how things are now with the way things will be then, he gives a final thought about how we are to live until the perfect comes. Look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 13.13 13. He says this, But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul says that now we are to hold fast to faith, hope, and love, knowing that the greatest of these is love. Paul has already explained that faith and hope are a part of love. If you look at uh, 13.7, he already said that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, right? So, Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. That's faith and hope are part of love. They're inextricably bound together. But faith and hope, as we know them, will not be needed in the future. Have you ever thought about that? No need for faith. No need for hope. Because they'll have been realized. That our faith will be a reality. That that which we, we hope for, that we have faith in, that we long for, Revelation 21, will have been realized. That it's a reality. It's no longer something hoped for, something longed for. It's no longer an assurance of something that is to come. It is something, it will be something that has arrived. And hope? There's no need for hope. Hope has come. Hope is there. There'll be no need for faith or hope like we know them now in the new heaven and the new earth. However, love, love will endure forever. And it will be an essential part of the eternal state. So he says, love is the greatest of these things. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, who do we dwell with? We dwell with the one who is love. God Himself. 
So we look at this text and we realize that spiritual gifts, they're temporary. That they'll fade away. And that spiritual gifts are partial. That they're just a picture. A small picture of what is to come. That they're to point us to the reality of Revelation 21. So how do we apply all of this? As a church and as individuals, how do we take this 1 Corinthians 13, this talk about tongues and prophecy and spiritual gifts and love, and how do we bring it down to where we live it today? Well, First of all, if you're here and you've never experienced that type of love, agape love, love that never fails, love that endures forever, I just want you to know that you can experience that kind of love. In fact, that perfect example of love was demonstrated by God Himself. When He took on the form of a man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead on that third day. That is perfect love. Romans 5, verses 6-8 through says this, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I just want you to know that you can experience that kind of love. Love that lasts forever. Love that endures forever. Love that's not conditional based on what you do, but instead is given to you as a sacrifice, as a gift. But I also want you to know that the only way you'll ever be able to exhibit that kind of love is if you receive that kind of love. That it's through the enabling of God. And God calls us to something great. When we love our children, when we love our spouses, when we love our family, when we love our neighbors. And dare I even say, when we're called to love our enemies. And the only way we can do that is to receive the love of Christ. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, Today is the day of salvation. Come and talk to Bill. Talk to T. Talk to me. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. To give your life to Christ. To commit your life to Christ and follow Him. To live for Him and for His glory. It's not about saying a prayer. It's not about walking an aisle. It's about turning away from your sin and following Jesus. Or maybe you're here today. Right? And you've already done that. You say, well, I've done that. I've experienced that kind of love and it's not easy. And I'm trying to love like I'm supposed to love. But it's hard. Maybe you're here today and you've lost focus. You're focusing on the temporal, on the things that will fade away. You're focused not on the eternal, the things that will last forever. The church in Corinth was focused on the things that Paul said would eventually pass away. And in so doing, they ceased to love. And they were good things, right? The gift of of tongues, of prophecy, of knowledge, they're good things. And, And Paul says, you're failing to love. You need to set your mind toward eternity. Not the things, not just the things of this world. Not it's not about teaching a Sunday school class so that Bill can get the glory. It's about being used by God so that God gets the glory. It's not about preaching a sermon so that I get the glory. It's about God receiving all the glory. One more passage. 1 John 4.16 says this, 
I'm going to back up to 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know that we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. So there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. These are hard, hard words. Are we loving each other like we should? And if you hear me say that, and you say, I'm not being loved like I should, then you've missed the whole point of the message. The point of love is sacrifice. Are you sacrificing like you should? Are we loving our community like we should? Is it agape love? Is it love for the sake of the one being loved? Do you, when you do special music, when we think about these gifts of the, of the Spirit, when we think of being gifted with spiritual gifts, when you do special music on Sunday morning, and I'm not picking on the three guys that did special music, right? Just That was my example in here. Or when you empty out trash on your way out the door, or when you teach a Sunday school, or you shovel off the ramp, or you teach, or whatever it is you do, do you do it with agape love? Do you do it in such a way that you can say, this is patient, kind, not jealous, not boastful, not arrogant, not acting unbecomingly, not seeking your own, without being provoked, not taking into account wrong suffered. If not, then you can shovel all the walkways, teach all the Sunday school classes you want. You've received your reward in full. That your service is as nothing. It's nothing. So my whole point in this is that as a church, We need to help each other live out these principles. I need you. I need you to come alongside me and help me love this way. For I cannot, cannot do it. It is not in me. The power of Christ will enable me to do it, but I believe He will do that through you. And I believe that He will enable you to do that, but I believe that He's going to enable you to do that through the loving of each other. That as you love each other, as you sacrifice for each other, as you encourage one another, that that will grow, that you will see Christ in each other. And I pray that you live that out. I pray that you get involved with other believers. Don't hear me say, and I know I say this every week, don't hear me say, get get into a community group. What I want you to hear me say is, live in community that may not be in a community group but at the end of the day live in community provoke each other spur each other on encourage one another so long as today is called today so that you may love as you should and finally believer be encouraged be encouraged that God has given us spiritual gifts that are they're a partial picture a glimpse if you will of the perfect that is to come that we have these glimpses 
that as we have this word of knowledge and prophecy, that there are glimpses of the perfect that is coming. Set your eyes on eternity and use your gifts to demonstrate your love for one another. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. God, you call us to things that we cannot do. And I praise you for that. Praise you for the reminder that you are God and we are not. Praise you that you call us to live in such a way that we might show true love, agape love, love for the sake of the object, the individual being loved. And God, we know that we will only do that if we have experienced that kind of love through the power of Your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that every person here would just run to You, would cling to You, and then in turn, as we love You first, that we would in turn love each other and encourage each other to demonstrate that same kind of love. God, I praise You for Your love and Your grace that You're showing us now. And I pray your blessing upon us as we close out this service, as we think about this final song, as we take this message with us and seek to live it this week. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Harmony Bible Church, visit www.harmonybible.org. God bless, and to God be the glory.